Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host. And once again, I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show goes with me through the adventures of my laptop lifestyle as I move around Las Vegas, known to some, at least me, as the hottest city in the world. Where do you go when you find those inspirations and have those mastermind conversations and meet those unique people who share things that change your life, adjust your trajectory, bring you that much closer to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And what do you hear in the background? You may hear the occasional bird chirping and flapping around. You may hear a vehicle rolling in the distance. You may hear ambient noise from the next table. We take you those places because we go those places. Right now, I'm coming to you from my high-tech studio, which happens to be my laptop out here on the table on the balcony, enjoying a very, very nice day here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm looking forward to a conversation with Brian Weaver, who is the CEO of a company called Torch AI, which we're going to hear about. This is going to be one of those conversations we have occasionally where we get to discover a bit more about an entrepreneurial leader and just through their story and through some of what they've experienced, discover things that can help us move forward by example, by inspiration and by comparison. So let me tell you about Brian here real quick before we bring him in. As I mentioned, he serves as the CEO of Torch AI. He has more than 20 years experience leading mission-driven, high-growth technology-focused companies. Torch AI helps leading organizations leverage artificial intelligence in a unique way via via a proprietary enterprise data management software solution. Today, Torch AI supports clients like H&R Block with fraud detection and mitigation and the U.S. Department of Defense with machine learning-enabled background investigations for all federal employees, supporting the determination of an individual's trustworthiness and security credentialing. So, Brian Weaver, come on in. The weather's fine. Yeah, great to be here, Adam. Thank you for the, uh, the kind introductions fun right right off the top i'm not sure if i'm worthy to be here and this is my show uh you have a bit of a background here that i think is a really great story and would like to sort of have you tell us about that so i read off the current part of your official bio which i said very impressive uh i stand humbled but tell us a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion yeah, this is kind of fun because uh, I was just nominated or, or, or am a finalist at the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And, and I just literally uh, a few days ago 
went through a bit of my journey uh, with that whole crew. They, they do a pretty extensive uh, on-site and, and uh, interview process. And, and uh, it, it's been fun. So anyway, it was funny because it started with my first business. Uh, I had a lawn uh, company as a kid uh, with one of my best friends uh, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I was always entrepreneurial. I, I think I just had that uh, in my bones. My family uh, has been like that. My parents uh, were not, but uh, in our in our sort of extended family, we've got a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners. And I think it was just one of those things where um, I was a frustrated employee. Uh, I think maybe a little bit differently than the average human. Um, I kind of live in the future, uh, which is both good and bad. And that's not that's not a statement, uh, you know, an egocentric statement or or even something to be proud of necessarily. Uh, it just is. And so I've always, you know, just been one of these curious people that that maybe sees the world a little bit differently. Um, and so when I when I would start working or or start working with customers that had problems. Uh, I really started to enjoy imagining uh, how to remove friction from their life, uh, how to optimize uh, workflows, how to improve decisions. And, and uh, as I got older and a little smarter, that's typically kind of took the form of mathematics and, and dealing with information at speed and scale. And, and, and that's really what has guided my career. So, um, you know, I think, a little bit of the answer is just I'm wired like that. You know, I'm all, I'm just this kind of curious person and uh, I love to kind of get in the mud of a problem. So anyway, I think that's, that's a bit of me. And then, you know, I can, I'm happy to, you know, share sort of trials and tribulations that I kind of started my first company. Um, and that might be a fun story for, for everybody today. Yes, yes, yes. We love the stories. Tell us about it. I'm on the edge of my seat here, my friend. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I was sort of an entrepreneur in my first two jobs. I tried to start companies inside my employers and that's kind of, there's antibodies against that, right? The a company needs, uh, operational efficiency and excellence. And, and when you have some creative spirit, uh, seeing things, new opportunities and trying to disrupt that doesn't always, uh, sit well. So I was one of these frustrated entrepreneurs, uh, at the beginning. Um, but I, I ended up doing a deal, uh, with a NASCAR uh, track in Kansas City called Kansas Speedway. And I didn't know it at the time, but everybody else had turned it down. And I was like the last guy they asked. And it all revolved around uh, doing marketing to fans to try and increase uh, the track's ability to sell season tickets, to renew season tickets. Um, and so it was really fun, yeah. a really complicated problem. Um, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of fans. I mean, it's still, even today, a Super Bowl uh, weekend every time a, a race happens all across America. Um, and so what I did was I actually had this idea that I could hire uh, actuaries from Sprint, the big uh, telephone company that's now owned by T-Mobile. Um, and, and I hired all these people to develop a bunch of models, uh, patterns of life, where I could watch what a fan was doing and predict whether they liked the, the rates and liked Kansas city and or Chicago or wherever uh, and, and a propensity to make a decision to buy a season ticket. And, and then I could send them uh, content to stimulate a different behavior. Um, and it, you know, what is now called programmatic advertising. Uh, but 20 years ago was, was revolutionary is something I, I kind of invented there. And so anyway, I did that and it made the company I worked for a whole bunch of money. Um, but again, antibodies, uh, I did it without permission, uh, even though it was very profitable and made the company millions of dollars. And I actually got reprimanded for it 
Um, and it was that moment where I was like, wow, I, I can't be an employee here anymore. This is, this doesn't work. Uh-huh. So the next, the next step, because I, I'm, you know, even though I, you wouldn't, I'm probably the least risk averse person you'll ever meet in your life. Um, I'm, I'm not, uh, careless. And so my next step was to try and convince NASCAR to hire me to do this, uh, all over the place. And they said, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. But they didn't want to pay anything. Um, because they, they have the luxury of having uh, an endless list of fans that would love to be an employee and be close to the sport. Uh, and so my solution was to start my first company uh, and, and sort of institutionalize this and, and uh, commercialize the concept. Uh, and I did that. And so um, it was really bumpy. That whole journey was very bumpy because I, I struggled to get uh, to expand it. Uh, and that's a, that's a whole other interesting story. Uh, but the net of it is it, it ended up over a, a three or four year period being incredibly successful. Uh, it grew exponentially and, and, uh, you know, moved me up in atmospheres in terms of, you know, personal wealth and, and experience as a business owner. Uh, and on the heels of that, I actually acquired, uh, my last employer. So the company that gave me the reprimand, uh, and in, in fact, the person that gave the reprimand, uh, I, I acquired that company. Uh, with the cash from the idea that I started while working for them. Yeah. Um, and so that's sort of my first chapter of my journey as an entrepreneur, uh, kind of a fun, a fun way to get things going when you're 25 years old. Oh, that's hilarious. So they thought they had you. Oh, we reprimanded Brian. Then you just come around and buy their company. That's exactly what happened. I was literally <laughs> sitting in the backseat of my brother's car down in Tampa, Florida, and I made a bid on the business um, and I wrote a little heartfelt letter and, and was, uh, you know, I, I'm not a spilt milk person and I don't really carry any animosity towards anybody ever. Uh, and, and uh, it was a great thing, right? Um, I've had a series of setbacks in my life that all have created, you know, these amazing opportunities uh, that if not for the setback, I wouldn't have it. Um, and that pressure and your ability to be resilient and react uh, to stress and all that stuff. I think that's what ultimately will determine your success as a, as a human, not just a business owner or entrepreneur. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that was a fun, uh, a fun moment. Uh, it's pretty extraordinary. Uh, I mean, literally my wife and I pulled up to the building, uh, when we bought the company and, and, uh, walked in and said, uh, Hey guys, welcome back. I mean, it was a fun, it was a fun moment for sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Wow. That, that would be like a, a dream for me to uh, be able to pull something like that off. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a humanist as well, and I wouldn't be out looking for vengeance or anything. But it's just so funny to see those moments yeah. where the table turns or the wheel turns. And I think it's a, a test of a lot of things, not only our character, but in some ways our sense of humor to be able to see yeah, totally. how this happens. I made the observation 10 years ago when it seemed like at the time I had a lot of clients who were off and on with me that it seemed like, you know, I would leave progress ahead of them that hire me. Uh, then, or actually, you know, I would leave progress ahead of them. They would hire me. Then they'd leave frog ahead of me. And sometimes I hired them and then it would just go back and forth and back and forth where, seemed like we were all moving forward, but at different paces and having need for each other's support and services at different times. Yeah, that's life, right? I mean, the, you know, I think Oprah Winfrey said it and I bootlegged it at a, at a, 
a graduation uh, ceremony where uh, you know I gave the commencement speech. But it's when you're looking forward, you don't see the past. But when you turn around and look backwards, you see how all the little twists and turns connect. Um, and I think it's absolutely true. And it's also, by the way, in your 20s and 30s, you're building a network of people uh, that are sort of lashed together. And in your 40s and 50s, you, you know, you're, it's that network that creates the foundation of your you know, future success. Uh, and so if you're not making hay and getting to know people and, and developing really good, healthy relationships in your 20s and 30s, you're going to struggle in your 40s and 50s because uh, you don't have that network to lean against. And at the end of the day, life is, is a 100% about relationships with other humans uh, and the quality of those relationships. If they're good, as you say, you know, this kind of the, the, uh, the, the foil and Perry, you know, kind of dance that you're talking about with, with these coworkers you've had. Um, I mean, that only exists when you generally are giving others energy, you know, you're, you're not selfish, but you're, uh, you kind of believe in a, in a bit of a balanced approach and, and you approach life, you know, with a positive, uh, attitude and a giving attitude. I think that you, that energy comes back to you. So that's fun. And, uh, I agree with the sentiment. Yeah. And I, I also know that particularly within the past 20 to 30 years, there have been so many changes and uh, you and I uh, I don't think we're I don't think we're too far apart age-wise so I'm not sure exactly what generational cohort you're in I myself am at, am at the tail end of Gen X right before the Millennials kicked in so uh, age-wise I'm a late Gen Xer I've been called a cusper uh, work style wise I tend to lead toward the Millennials so just a little <laughs> A little bit about me since what we're doing here is sort of having a bit of an impromptu mastermind for our listeners about our respective journeys is I I went to undergrad. I, I went to Penn State. I had my degree in political science. My original plan was to become an attorney and go to law school. I didn't end up doing that. I uh, went through a couple of uh, really awful jobs right after I graduated from Penn State, one of which was so bad that I celebrate the day that I was uh, I was fired from it as my second birthday, April 27th. It's the one of the topics <laughs> of the chapter that I contributed to Journeys to Success, the Millennial Edition. And yeah, I got people like uh, one of my buddies from college, Rasmus, like, oh, you're a millennial all of a sudden. Uh, that's funny. I thought you were a Gen Xer like me. It's like, well, I don't know. I was invited to participate in the project and it was a lot of fun. So for those of you who have been fired a time or two. Yes, I'm an example of somebody who literally wrote a book about it, so to speak, or I wrote a chapter about it. It was featured in Amazon International Bestseller, so take that. Uh, I went for my MBA at Duquesne University. I received it. I did that program full-time at the same time that I held down a full-time job. After I graduated, I spent two years going back and forth Sort of between, you know, I have, the, I have this side hustle I've started. Do I want to go full bore entrepreneurial? Do I want to climb the ladder with this company where I've been promoted diagonally since I graduated? What am I, which way am I going here? And ultimately, the decision was made for me when I realized, and I'm actually going to be very nice here because I think about the demographics of every episode that we record here. Uh, Let's just say that my boss's bosses was lacking by every measure. And that became 
very apparent to me. And that kind of made the decision that I was going to go all the way with the entrepreneurial thing. Now, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have sat there for two years. I wouldn't have sat there for two weeks. In fact, I was given a way out and I didn't recognize what it was simply because I didn't know what I didn't know and I didn't know what questions to ask. When I finally did make the move, I never looked back and I found myself very quickly in an industry I didn't expect to be in that there was a lot of opportunity. I made a lot of money with it and, but it wasn't, you know, we all go through these journeys and it's not for nothing that in the entrepreneurial space, I suggested a company should rebrand itself every three to five years for two reasons. Number one, it refreshes you on the marketplace. Number two, it enables you to embrace innovations without having to say, oh, well, we didn't know. It allows you to say you're embracing the cutting edge because people are funny with how, what they hear sometimes. So those are a couple of my observations. But the reason I bring this up is, you know, Gen X uh, considered sort of a cusper. And I guess that mentally I'm almost millennial in the sense, and I've covered this so many times, I don't think millennials are lazy at all. I mean, millennials I see are some of the most innovative, uh, passionate, brilliant people that you can have in the workplace, you can have as entrepreneurs. They're just the first generation that had access to information that enabled them to question narratives and to formulate goals in such a way where they can recognize that work is not just something you do to fulfill requirements you can live. It's the opportunity to make the world a better place by being part of it. If an employer, if a company doesn't provide that for them, they're just more likely to move on elsewhere because there is no gold watch and there is no shack in Fort Lauderdale. That went away a long time ago. I don't know. I think, uh, I think when you look at consumerism, certainly there's a different approach to work and work expectation. Uh, I think finding your purpose uh, is something that this younger generation, I've got, you know, teenage daughters that are amazing. Um, I I employ a bunch of millennials. um, And what I found is that um, they actually are a lot more, um, diligent, disciplined, and, and traditional than you'd think. I think the key thing that they question, uh, and that really, frankly, you know, as a, as a squarely, uh, Gen X person, what they've encouraged all of us to do is to make sure that, that you live with purpose, not just, not just work with purpose, but you live with purpose. Um, and there's a heightened interest, uh, in, um, kind of the why, uh, not just the what. And I think the other thing I would say is that's a little counter to some of these perceptions is that when you look at uh, consumer spending um, and you look at, at how the lifestyles have shifted around, um, there still is a, a, you know, a very big uh, pull. I mean, look at some of the brands that are the most profitable uh, that have survived. I mean, look at expensive watches, look at expensive cars. Uh, look at homes uh, all through the pandemic. You know what's happened. The scarcity of of supply chain, uh, you, you know, is is wreaking havoc on our economy. 
Uh, and it's, you know, why is that? It's because every generation uh, is, is uh, prioritizing, uh, enjoying, uh, you know, certain things, right? Uh, things made with purpose, things with value, um, things that relate to something uh, that are more personal to them. And so I think it's a really extraordinary time to sort of vacuum up all of that data and make sense of it uh, and not just fall into these traps of, of labels of uh, these generations and, and these preconceived notions of, uh, you know, how they're working or, or, you know, or some magazine article someone might have read. Yeah. Uh, kind of labeling this bucket of, of, of age groups. I mean, I, I, you know, again, I'm a data person and a mathematics person, right? So I live in, in fact, the bucket of facts and contextual relationships. That's, that's how I see the entire world as one big network. And it's not one thing. It's not, it's not tribes of people. It's, it's actually one big system, one big complex ecosystem, a big complex network of behaviors. Um, and they're all related to each other. And so I, I, maybe I just have a little different perspective than you do on that, but, but, uh, but I'm encouraged by it and it's helped me, you know, I've gone through health issues. I've gone through personal financial setbacks and professional setbacks and all that kind of stuff. And it does, uh, it does make you think, you know, um, and, and kind of prioritize certain things and, and, and change your perceptions of, of what reality is. Yeah. If we want to look at the generations just for a moment, I agree with you that just simply saying, well, all the millennials act this way, all the Gen Zers act this way, all the Gen Xers act this way, all the Gen Yers are this. That's not the case. Now, first of all, they do learn from each other. And second, you do, we are now seeing it permeate upward in the generational slope. So they like to yeah. say, well, these lazy millennials. Well, now we're seeing the Gen Xers and even some of the baby boomers who are still in the workplace and still leading companies and still doing entrepreneurial things. They're now saying, oh, but what about me? What about my purpose? I'd like to have a purpose here. I'd like to do more than draw a paycheck. I'd like to make the world a better place by me being part of it. I'd like to not deal with being in a factory situation in an office environment. I'd like to be creative. I'd like to contribute, be recognized, and and know that the work that I'm doing is benefiting the company, benefiting the world, and that my intersection of my brilliance and my passion. So I and I think that's great. 20 years ago, when I first completed the MBA, and I knew that one way or another, I was not going to stay at that company that I'd worked at for two years for a whole long time. Uh, just due to the nature of the industry they were in, I was kind of hitting a ceiling in terms of how far I could even go with that. Plus, my MBA was in something else entirely. So I just mentioned a situation to a friend of mine at the time, and he told me that, this I remember what he said, he said, well, of course you're leaving that company. You've been there, what, two years? You sit there much longer and people are going to wonder what the hell you're doing just working at one place. Like, aren't you going anywhere? Don't you have anything on the ball? Are you just a time server? And that was really one of the first times I'd heard that. It's like, wait, you're not, you know, well, but doesn't that make me seem like I'm unstable if I'm bouncing from company? Oh, no, 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 no. If you're not bouncing from company to company, then you're not innovative. You're not dynamic. You're not moving places. You're not you're not cutting edge in the industry. 
the employer's going to look at that and they're going to say, what the hell are you doing? Just sitting there. What are you, uh, what are you a time server? Uh, uh, is it even worth having a conversation with you in an interview? And that was, that was a bit of a shock to me because I was, a, I was still part of being told you find a company, you stay loyal to them for 40 years. You get your 401k and your savings and all that. Like, yeah, I, I understand retirement savings. I have all that as well. But uh, that's not what I'm in it for. Uh, growing my 401k does, or, or my Roth IRA or anything like that does not motivate me to do more episodes of the Business Creators Radio Show. Let's just put it that way. Well, yeah, and I think, and I think we, that's we, one of the shifts we, we've seen. We all, we all hope that that's, that's not the case, yes. Yeah. Good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what are your, what, okay. what are your listeners typically like when you get feedback on the show? Like what's everybody, what are the comments typically? Where, where does, where do, uh, you know, w- what resonates with folks? Ooh, turning the tables. I like this. I wish more guests would do this. Okay. Uh, the business creators radio show, since you want to pick my brain a little bit. Oh, oh, I've been looking for somebody to do this. This is so great. We have identified a few unique audience segments for our show, one of which are startups that are moving into revenue. That's one area. Another are solopreneurs who are moving into becoming a leveraged organization with employees, virtual teams, contractors, technologies, etc. And then the third segment are those who are moving from six to seven digits in terms of annual gross revenues. Those are the three areas that we seem to hit for a certain reason. As far as the nature of our episodes, what our listeners tend to like most is when I occasionally completely spaz out and say at least yeah. five, five out of seven of the forbidden words because I can. I They enjoy, and again, it's just feedback I get, when we get into the stories that reveal our humanity and what we discover by going through the journey of life. And what they also really tend to enjoy are those little aha moments that make them think, wow, I never saw it that way before. Up until now, I just did not have the frame of reference to even have that idea. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think this is kind of what I had said to you earlier uh, before that we got on the show and, and uh, what I found really fascinating one and two kind of personally rewarding is sharing a little bit of the trials and tribulations of going from that zero to your first million or from your first million to your first 10 million or whatever. Um, and how hard it is because it's a grind. Uh, and what's funny is now I'm in the, in an atmosphere where, uh, we're approaching a hundred million. And, uh, and that, uh, in one company that I have. And, and so th- that whole thing, you're still, it's, it's still very similar. It just gets a little more complex, but the, but the effort and the, the, you know, mental gymnastics are very similar. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it, that, that's a, that's a great audience you have. And, and, uh, certainly, a um, a completely valiant uh, effort when you, you kind of get a business going as a sole proprietor and you, then you turn it into an actual enterprise, um, you know, that, that can grow and, and scale and support, you know, helping more people. I think that's always a, a, you know, a good focus. So yeah, that's fun. 
Yeah, and you've uh, you've built and acquired companies. You've built and led teams yourself. And I remember when I first got into this whole leverage virtual team thing. I was about a year and a year and a half in, and basically the mentoring I got over it is uh, from a surface level was well, you can't be doing any of this stuff yourself. You got to hire people to do A, B, C, D, and E. The biggest problem I had was I had a company at the time that I owned that had about, I think, between 40 and 50 clients. So all of my clients got assigned project managers. And then within the project managers, we had uh, we had support teams to work on each client's needs. And I had a few of my clients say, well, I didn't sign up to work with a team or a project manager. I signed up for you. So either I work with you personally or I leave. And I said, okay, bye-bye, toodaloo, see ya. Uh, mm-hmm. And there were... Um, and it was because of the way they said it. It was very condescending. Like they had some ownership stake in my company and could tell me how to run my operations. Uh, no, that didn't quite work. Now, then we had the ones who uh, went out of their way to ignore the people within my organization who were supposed to be supporting them, actually take emails that their project manager would send to them remove the project manager and reply to me as if to say, I'm only dealing with you. And I was like, okay, this kind of passive aggressive subterfuge doesn't work. So those are the outliers. I want to identify them just to set them aside. But I think what I, well, I've discovered when it comes to team building is that, and I'm, my phrasing here is not going to be perfect, but we'll, we'll get by as best we can. We see a focus on things like organizational charts and assignment of duties. And yeah, all that matters to a degree, but what often gets left out of that conversation is what I refer to as the individual's intersection of their brilliance and their passion, and also allowing for roles and responsibilities to morph as people bring things to the table that we weren't expecting to hear from them. You ever encountered that? You brought somebody onto your team and you were just amazed, like, wow, if I'd have known that you had that capability or that brilliance, uh, this could have gone a lot differently. Yeah, the what I found in my career and I've managed, you know, I, I started my first company when I was basically 25 years old, right? And and so I've managed and hired and fired and yeah, you know, all all the other things in between, hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh as an entrepreneur, right? And and this is these are my companies. It's not like I'm a CEO, a hired gun CEO that manages thousands and thousands of people. Um, these right. are these are things that I, you know, invested in, started, you know, um, some of which are I've sold, some of which I I shuttered. So the point is, I think what I learned in all that the journey, that permutation of of it really being you, like when you work for a bigger company, there, there's this amorphous company. But when you're an entrepreneur and uh, a founder, it's you and you are responsible for everything, uh, everything that happened before, everything that's about to come. Um, and it, it's fascinating. So what that means then is that y- you learn these lessons in a unique way um, it, because right. they are literally everything that goes wrong in the company is a manifestation of some flaw of yours as a leader, as a manager, as a human, whatever. And so what I found, uh, my biggest impediment, probably the biggest aha that I ever had with people uh, was realizing that um, there's different modes of operation. 
um, my mode is to quickly, like, I mean, I, I'm probably faster than you've ever met anybody at seeing opportunities and pitfalls. Uh, I'm kind of off the charts that way. And so it's, it's a blessing and a curse, but I see things for what they are very, very quickly. Uh, and I don't need a lot of historical context in order to understand the current landscape. And then I immediately go as kind of my second mode of operation into the details, the physical manifestation of whatever the problem is or whatever the opportunity might be and what a solution might ultimately look like. The actual shape, color, button size of whatever a solution might, might look like, right? The world, and especially in a technology business, you know, I'm surrounded by people that their first mode is to go back to what's been done, the history, and understand with incredible clarity what has historically worked. And once they have that comfort about uh, around what's, what's happened and what's worked, they then, and only then, can they move forward and start moving into their second mode, which is typically to develop a bit of a checklist uh, because engineers are very thoughtful and they're disciplined and process oriented and, and an entrepreneur, especially one like me is the complete polar opposite. So I had a lot of friction. I mean, I, I was stressed and frustrated with people and it wasn't because they lacked uh, brain power or, or, you know, a, a will to do good uh, or they were bad employees. It literally was, they just operated different than I did. And I did not see that. And I had an immaturity about me um, that didn't appreciate uh, their gift of actually going to the past, something I didn't need, but something that if you're really going to build a great business, you have to, you have to factor that in because it eliminates risk. Yeah. And so instead of seeing that as a negative, as an impediment to forward progress, I, I actually, I realized that I was the impediment to forward progress because I wasn't fully appreciating the gift of that. And the tool that that can be for a guy like me who, who, you know, will move with a high tolerance for risk and without a, a lot of contextual value for the past. Uh, and once I figured that out, man, it unlocked my world because I was like, instead of fighting, you're like, wow, uh, these people need me to guide them and to help them use their talent to, you know, the, the, their, uh, the talent they were born with. Uh, to help the company and the collective uh, succeed. And, and I would say that uh, often it's a, it's a failure of a leader, whether it's a manager at a company, certainly a founder or a CEO of a company that sets the tenor and tone uh, of the culture and business um, to really fully appreciate everybody's individual mode of operation, not whether they're smart or not, why, whether they're a good worker or not, whether they do stupid stuff during the day. I'm talking about their, their fundamental mode of operation. Like how do they approach a problem? Um, do they start yeah. in the future and work backwards? Do they start in the past and work forwards? You know, do they start with a checklist? You know, do they start tinkering? Do they start whiteboarding? And that mode is different for everybody. And once you realize that uh, and actually kind of start figuring out people and paying attention, the game changes entirely. And so I think that's one really fascinating aspect about, you know, kind of my life and career that's helped unlock, you know, frankly, millions and millions of dollars of personal wealth because I'm more efficient and effective as a leader. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but that's just a, 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 a plain fact. Well, don't hate uh, to say it. it. Was Love to say it. Yeah. Yeah. What, one, of the, one of the things I share, and this is a bit more ma micro than your macro view, I've 
done well over 500 episodes of the Business Creators Radio Show. I have other podcast projects where I've interviewed hundreds of people. I've interviewed people as guest presenters on webinars, on teleseminars. I've been a guest and a presenter myself on hundreds of different places. Through those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of experiences, one thing that I have acquired is an almost instinctual ability to know how if like when somebody logs in to do the business creators radio show as a guest like you, Brian, for example, I know within two seconds of you logging in, how the interview is going to go based on, based on the very first thing the person says when they log in, I know exactly what I'm dealing with. And then I know how to use that to make it as awesome an experience as possible for the guests and for our listeners. To me, there's really no such thing as bad. The only th- things that anybody can do on the Business Creators Radio Show that are bad are try and push me around on my own show and tell me how to run it and to answer every question by, say, buy my course at, the, at such and such link. Those are really the only things that somebody can do wrong. Outside of that, uh, I'm looking to meet you where you are. Yeah. And what's, yeah, but what's that mean? How, but what's that mean? You know, like, yeah. Uh, you know, how, how, I mean, meeting them where they are, but you have to have like a, you have to have a method to understand where yeah. they are. Sure. Um, uh, that would that's, be, that, that's that would, a key aspect. Yeah. That would be our, that would be our pre interview green room. And also the way that we gather data about our guests, whether they're applying for themselves or applying through um, their agency representatives and the level and specifics of the information were provided through that process also give me a lot of intelligence. So in your case, what I love about our conversation is we're sharing stories about our journeys and you and I are in two different places serving two different markets. Not, o- not only is that fantastic, but it gives opportunities for cross-learning that you don't get every day when you're within people of your own cohort. Yes. Yeah. So what I am curious about, and this is uh, me indulging my uh, geek tendencies for just a moment. I know that you do work with artificial intelligence and I know I'm asking almost a newbie question, but you know, what, I mentioned that your your work with H&R Block and fraud detection and the Department of Defense and background investigations. But what do you see currently as some of the opportunities and some of the breakthroughs in artificial intelligence that we should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, on the pointy end, our business in particular and, and our focus on artificial intelligence is a very advanced form of, uh, of automating tasks, right? But they're very, very complex. Um, and so we are uh, not an academic institution. So there's a lot of really interesting R&D that's happening in this space. And we're in the business of applied AI. So we have customers that use artificial intelligence to optimize a, a human task or a procedure or process uh, or detect things, you know, d- doing some really interesting things and, and even in some cases create uh, things using artificial intelligence. So we're, we're at kind of the pointy end of the, uh, of the marketplace with the complexity uh, and sophistication of the machine learning that, that we use here. 
Um, I think some of the, personally, I think some of the most interesting uh, aspects uh, of, of AI is a, something called artificial general intelligence. And so when you think about a lot of the AI and ML that happens today are an automation of a single task. You know, I need to detect a person walking across a crosswalk if I'm a, if I'm a car and I'm building an autonomous driving capability. Well, there's, a, there's an, a discrete task that says, look for an object in the path of the car. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's an object detection task, right? So that's a, you know, a, a simple kind of way to think about uh, AI or ML. Or the prediction, for example, that if I'm on Facebook and looking at content or whatever, that I might be in the mood for a chocolate bar today, right? That's a, a pattern detection kind of capability. So I think when you think of artificial general intelligence, it's actually like a brain that is flexibly applied to a problem set. So I can use the same uh, block of uh, learning to translate text, to decipher what, a, what an object is, uh, to play a game. And the promise of artificial general intelligence is really fascinating when you get into the complexities of it, right? So it's, it's can I take software code and mathematics and use it the same way a human brain does? Like I can throw you and your eyeballs and your sensory organs into an environment and you'll make sense of it. And that is what artificial general intelligence is, is the ability for um, technology to basically understand its environment and start automating tasks in, a, in an intelligent way uh, to solve a problem with it, where the, the problem isn't you know, sort of preconceived. And then the other piece is quantum computing. And so when you start thinking of the concept of artificial general intelligence being impeded by uh, the computational capability, how many uh, mathematical computations can I make in a, in a second and how quantum kind of turns that on, uh, turns the potential of that on its head. Those two concepts combined, I think, um, are really fascinating, uh, to think about what's possible in the next decade or two. Cause I think it is, I think it's about a 20 year journey to fully realize that, um, data availability and data usability is, is the biggest impediment. That's what our business focuses on. Um, one of the biggest impediments to, uh, applying a machine uh, to a task is that data today is very, very difficult to use, and it's it's getting exponentially harder to use at literally every single day. Um, yeah. So where we pay attention and, at Torch is that the data that's being fed into an AGI platform or even a task, uh, you, you know, oriented platform, the data is so uh, fragile and and hard to use. Uh, that, that that's where we have focused all of our R&D efforts on uh, really creating a platform that can automatically detect what the data is and prepare it in such a way using AI to make all the downstream machine learning uh, tasks more efficient and, and less expensive, frankly. Uh, and so it's, it's a fascinating landscape. Uh, it's, it's in some ways mature. It's been around, the concept's been around for a long time. Uh, but it's accelerating in just a tremendous way. And so it's a really fun market to be in. Uh, it's fun from an intellectual perspective. Uh, and it's really, really fun when you have clients like an HR block or like locked in insurance uh, or the U.S. federal government that, that is, you know, really, frankly, is probably the biggest pioneer in this space, even though it gets, we get criticized. Uh, the U.S. Is, is the biggest, the government is the biggest pioneer in this space by far. 
and and I think it's a really fun uh, and and personally rewarding and uh, place to be. And it allows me to live with purpose, right? Uh, it's been a gift of the, that I've gotten and kind of a fun part of life. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. And you know, artificial intelligence does involve itself in our lives in ways that some of us see on the surface, like the old, and I've seen this meme probably a couple of times today and it's still early. Hey, I was just thinking about toasters. Uh, I was thinking about having toast with my breakfast and, Oh, now you're seeing ads for toasters. You're seeing ads for breakfast. You're seeing ads for restaurants. It's like, I didn't type anything on a computer. I don't remember saying this to anybody. Yeah. How'd you read my mind? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, classic pattern detection, you know? Yeah. So is it something that we don't say or something that those kind of thoughts influences us to put out there that triggers artificial intelligence to know that could be on our mind? So the, the, the whole idea here is that like, uh, like we have a customer that has to process a form and they're, they, before we showed up, they, they had trouble processing all these forms and it was a customer service problem they were having. And yeah. uh, the, for, the forms were killing it. And actually the people hated their jobs and they were quitting and all this stuff because it was just this, this arduous thing, right? Messing around with PDFs and documents and it just, the job sucked. And so we, we show up and it, it, by the way, it took a month to get a, pro, a single customer project done because uh, the data was kind of messy and all that. And so we show up and we say, hey, you know, the reason your people are frustrated is there's, it's too complex. There were literally nearly 9,000 versions of forms that they had to figure out how to use. Think about that. A human can't possibly wow. understand it. So, but, but the world doesn't think like this. It, and so it, if, if, I'm, if I'm going to do so, if I'm an athlete and I'm going to kick a field goal, I'm going to try and create the most controlled environment I possibly can for my kicker, right? But yeah. in business, they don't do that. In business, we create the most, the most complex environment uh, for work to get done. And then we, we, what we do is we say, oh, well, shoot, we just need more people because we're moving too slow. The answer is pile more people on. And it's actually you know, it, it's this slippery slope because it makes the whole problem worse. It exacerbates it. So I think the concept here is that a machine has the ability to instantly, like literally sub-second performance, instantly understand all 9,000 permutations of these documents. And it, it makes that complexity disappear because the machine just moves faster. Now, what's missing is human intuition. But what machines can do is provide context and correlation across all those 9,000 documents. So it, it, the types of documents, not, I mean, there are 20 million documents or so, but 9,000 types of documents across the 20 million. So what I'm saying is the machine has this capability to create context, mathematical relationships between all these pieces of information. And a human doesn't need to care about that part, but yeah. that's what the machine can do. What a human has that a machine does not have, and this is the whole kind of promise of, of artificial general intelligence, and, and there's little glimmers of it, which is what gives us all hope, guys like me, but humans have intuition and ingenuity that a machine will probably never truly have. A human has this intuition that is the synthesis of, of, of history and, uh, and, again, modes of operation, modes of decision-making. And the ability to synthesize a lot of environmental data that a machine just simply is, imp it's impossible to do today. 
your eyes can take in information from a photograph in a way that is very similar to your eyes taking in information from a real scene that you're physically in a machine has trouble figuring out those two things, right? It, because the, the data itself is so highly complex and differentiated, but the human has intuition. And I can intuit that a white shape looks like an owl in a photograph and is an owl in reality. You know, th th there's something that's missing there. So again, that may be deeper than you want, but I no, think that's good. the machine can, can accelerate the mathematical relationships between information in a way that a human can't do at speed and scale, but the human can then take that machine output and use human intuition and human ingenuity to solve a problem. And, and that's what I think is really magic about the space that, that I spend my time in today. It, it's fun. And that's what we do with our customers. You know, uh, our customers are these amazing people that know their businesses and know their environment. They know what they need out of it. Um, and when, when we enable and unlock kind of that human ingenuity thing, we unlock the potential of a human. That's something special and it makes you smile. I mean, it's cool. Yeah. I, you know, I, I never thought of, at least from my own experience, that artificial intelligence could help with form processing in that way. And I think of customer service and some of the experiences we have with that, uh, an opportunity that I see is a, that artificial intelligence can help make customer service more effective by giving customer service representatives data and helping them to utilize trends and data in ways that uh, we currently don't see. I've written in my book and I've also shared uh, through experiences with some of my clients where the people, and, I, and I've been this person actually, where I've been on the front lines of customer service with no backup from higher management, no resources provided me to do my job. And then they would come to me and say, why didn't you do your job? And right. one, and yeah, like in the, in that, for that last company I worked for in what, in one of my roles with that, that company, uh, my part of my responsibility and I was in network contracting was dealing with cases where um, members of the health insurance we provided ended up in out-of-network situations in emergency rooms. And, uh, and, uh, this, was, and this was dealing with uh, people who were covered under the welfare system in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So in other words, the state was paying for it. Now, yeah. the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania would only pay certain amounts per day for certain types of services. And there was even a whole chart on this. And... Uh, and uh, it was my job to deliver the great news to these emergency rooms and uh, every state in the nation that, uh, well, uh, that's, that's, that's really cool. Do you want to bill $7,000 for Mr. Jones's uh, day of inpatient treatment? Uh, however, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, based on a combination of its uh, regulations and its analysis of cost of living trends and other factors will pay $633 a day. Here's the paperwork, sign it. Yeah. And, uh, and if they didn't sign, then they didn't get paid. And then it would, and then what would happen is that they would uh, file grievances and it would end up in appeals. And then my superiors would say, these are the same superiors who would stress that I had no room for negotiation whatsoever. They would say, why is this in grievance? Why didn't you negotiate with these people? Hmm. Like what? 
Now, yeah. it got to the point, and I'm saying this out loud because it's 20 years ago, and candidly, I don't care at this point. I almost got to the point where I began telling these facility providers how to get what they wanted. And I'm going to reveal it to our listeners because whatever. It's real simple. All you have to do is threaten to sue. And uh, my superiors would would fold like cheap lawn chairs and cut the check for whatever you wanted and uh, overnight it to you. Because they didn't want lawsuits. Because lawsuits meant that they were not fulfilling the obligations of their contract, which was to uh, reduce and eliminate the cost of litigation. Mm. So So imagine being a customer service person in that situation. Imagine working for a web hosting company on the front lines of their tech support where you know full well that their servers are cracked Management will not invest more money in upgrading and replacing the servers. And management keeps telling you, oh, when these customers complain, all it, it, they, it, they don't know how to manage WordPress. They install these plugins. So, yeah, their stuff crashes all the time. So don't believe their stories about our servers. Uh, right. How many, how, how much can you beat your fist on a brick wall before you realize it's just too painful? Uh, and if you're on the front uh, lines, at what point do you just begin reading scripts? And as much as you'd like to tell the clients the secrets to actually getting service, you know, the calls being monitored and you get fired for doing so, but you want to so bad. Now, what if artificial intelligence, and I know this already exists in certain ways, can help to intervene in some of these situations, even for those customers who don't want to deal with prompts, who want to just press nine for a representative. Oh, it does. It, it does yeah. now. I mean, there's, there's, uh, I was asking rhetorically, but yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a, a big thing to say. Well, again, I, I think, you know, I know we're coming up on time and, and yeah. uh, we're, we're wrapping up, but I think it's, it's these areas where, uh, not only is it automating, um, a lot of tasks to kind of make workers have a better lifestyle and, and yeah, uh, that's what using machines to remove, you know, low value work, but it's also ultimately it'll, it resolves itself in better customer service because the one thing, uh, is that companies, the, the, the most expensive thing for companies is losing existing customers. And so retention is, is probably the number one priority for a company, especially these larger companies that, that have these scale issues with customer service issues and things like that. And, and because of that, they spend literally billions and billions of dollars figuring out how to make uh, the, the, the pathway frictionless uh, and optimized for customer delight. And, and so there's a lot of money pouring into, um, you know, being exploratory in these areas, which is good. That's good for everybody. It's good for workers. It's good for the, the product companies. And it's good for us as consumers. It's fun. Yeah, I. Well, it's, it's I'm, been I'm awesome to spend time with you today, Adam. I mean, I appreciate listening to your stories and and, and likewise, and likewise, your journey and, and, and likewise I love hearing about mine. Yeah, I loved hearing about you. I loved hearing about some of the latest in artificial intelligence. And what's really great is every so often we get to have these conversations on the Business Creators Radio Show. So what I want to do is I just want to encourage all of our listeners to visit Brian Weaver's website. Just go to www.torch.ai to discover more about Torch AI. It's fascinating what they're doing with artificial intelligence. And uh, also bear in mind some things that 
Brian is up to. He's a great guy to be connected with. And with that, Brian Weaver, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Adam. Thanks for for, uh, sharing a little bit about yourself and, and again, spending some time with me today. It was fun. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.